Welcome to Pharmacy in Focus, where I will be having pocket-sized conversations on current topics and interests relating to pharmacy and the wider health sector. My name is Sharina Vassan, bringing you Pharmacy in Focus on behalf of the Pharmaceutical Society of New Zealand. Welcome to Episode 9 of Pharmacy in Focus. Today I am joined by Vicky Chan. Vicky graduated in 2004 from the guinea pig class of the School of Pharmacy at Auckland University. Vicky is a community pharmacist and co-owns Unichem Pakaranga Pharmacy. She is passionate about pioneering and driving clinical services at a community pharmacy setting. Vicky strives to collaborate widely across the health and NGO sector. She has an equity-based approach to supporting the most vulnerable people within not only her local community, but also far afield. Welcome, Vicky. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> now, can you just tell me a little bit more about yourself? So who is Vicky Chan? Well, Vicky Chan. Um... Well, obviously, I'm a passionate um, community pharmacist. I'm a migrant myself. So I moved to New Zealand um, when I was nine from Hong Kong. Um, now pretty much a Kiwi now. So, um, yeah, um, after graduating from um, University of Auckland, like, you know, I um, did my internship, um, become registered. And back then, like, you know, it was... A little bit easier to do that cross um, qualification in the UK. So I spent a bit of time over in the UK being a pharmacist as well before returning back again to Auckland um, and become an early, like, you know, career pharmacist. Um, I love fashion, you know, so during that, like, you know, first 10 years of my, um, in, in my early 20s, like, you know, I also was quite involved in the fashion industry as well, as well as, you know, managing um, a couple of um, community pharmacies. Um, but yeah, like, you know, and then, you know, um, you get married, have kids, like you sort of have to prioritize. And so I decided, you know, I should um, sort of refocus my energy into um one or two things so you know family and my pharmacy career and he i am today <laughs> thank you vicky so you chose pharmacy over fashion well i think like fashion was always a hobby so it's okay i can spend money buying clothes and things like that when <laughs> um if i do well in pharmacy i get it so um but i guess like you know that fashion part was um to balance like you know a lot of my creative like you know um cravings and you know just connecting with really artistic and creative people which sometimes like you know in pharmacy we we operate so systematically mm. you know it's black and white it's all about accuracy and all that so you know I think that was just an outlet for me to be a bit crazier or um, a bit more creative <laughs> right yep the creative outlet that you needed yes <laughs> now coming back to pharmacy Hmm. I know you've been involved in delivering a number of different clinical services as within specific ethnic communities. Hmm. Now, how did this first come about? Um, I guess, like, I think being a migrant myself, like, you know, you, you, you sort of experience that, like, you know, firsthand as well. Like, you know, your parents may not um, have English as um, a first language. So, you know, sometimes navigating new life um, and, you know, a health system can be challenging. So, you know, it's, you know, I think like, you know, when we were young, we're always like, you know, helping out our aunties, uncles or like, you know, the wider community, like trying to navigate those systems anyway. And, you know, when you're in the profession, like, you know, it, it's just natural that you become sort of more of a advocate, like, you know, for these populations. Um, I guess like, you know, um, professionally, like, you know, um, it, it all started about like, you know, four or five years ago when um, we have a pilot um, sort of project um, with counties Medical Health, like, you know, in terms of providing um, maybe a more flexible model and um, vaccinating our um, migrant communities, like in terms of um, flu vaccination. I think back in, sort of 2009 
2015 and 2020, like, you know, outreach wasn't such a um, common concept. Um, so we're thinking like, you know, for a lot of people, it, it could be um, more of a community settings, like, you know, when they're having um, meetings with friends, like, you know, within an organizations um, or um, language could be a barrier or transportation. Cause you know, a lot of um, these elderly or um, migrants, like, you know, the kids could be living overseas or they'll be working. So, you know, so sometimes a mix engaging and um, sort of um, attending, like, you know, to a GP sort of appointments become an obstacle. So we thought, oh, with a particularly not like so, um, um, great sort of flu vaccination rate over the 65 years old how how what, what can we do like you know what can we change or you know from a pharmacy like pharmacist sort of perspective can we do something different and that's like you know when that first pilot project came out and yeah and then it's gone strength from strength from there um especially with you know COVID you know evolving as well mm. so You've talked about having a bit more of a flexible model, mm-hmm. uh, and and in effect, instead of uh, instead of people coming to you, so coming to mm-hmm. you, your pharmacy, for you to go out into the community, mm-hmm. uh, is that where the community flu fighters initiative came from? Is that the trial that you're mm-hmm. referring to? It was like there was actually a research um done like um by one of our um I think population health system like you know um student like at the time um at counties um within the population health um departments at counties as well like you know sort of investigating like you know um what are some of the barriers um and and a lot of the um results sort of came out um sort of shows that you know yes it is the language it is the um access and it is um transport and um and a lot of the time it um it's the setting because um we were measuring like you know um also why the uptake was so low in terms of flu vaccination at the time like you know and and many of them like were um mentioning like you know how they have never um been told before that um it was a free service or, you know, um, and some of these elderly simply um, have never enrolled, like, you know, with a GP practice being um, maybe slightly newly migrants, like, you know, um, when they come into the country after the kids have settled um, as migrants them- themselves. So, you know, a lot of that has come from um, those study to show that, oh, something different mm. could be done to address those um equity issues mm. and where where did you go where what community environments were you providing this well I should probably first ask you what the flu fighters uh, service and initiative was mm. well so that very first year it was um it was um a, a lot of learning because like you know obviously like you we have to engage with quite a number of new um, sort of NGOs and organizations. So um, of, often with a language that, you know, obviously like I'm, I can speak some languages, but not all languages. So um, we have an amazing team that have um, got those different language skills. So um, we were visiting, um, you know, a few different um, Buddhist temples, which I could um, sort of use my Cantonese and Mandarin language, but we were also engaging with a lot of our Sikh and Punjabi and Indian communities. Um, As you know, like, you know, India as, you know, very multicultural and multilingual, um, you know, country. So, you know, it is um, our um, Hindis, Punjabis and like, you know, um, and other sort of dialects as well that we were um, serving. So that, um, and, you know, we were um, engaging with our Cam- Cambodian um, temples as well, like through our different counterparts. So it was really a big sort of collaborative work. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's yeah it's, it's a great sort of team collaborative sort of efforts of sort of linking all the community leaders and through them um promoting you know a better way of um 
flu vaccination uptake. But um, that first year, we had to go around to a lot of organizations giving out talks, um, addressing why the importance of um, flu vaccinations are important each year. Because, you know, they we want to empower these elderly, these individuals, right? Like, you know, we just don't want to go in there and just vaccinate them. And without understanding, okay, well, do you understand, like, you know, um, the formulations of the flu vaccines get modified and, you know, immunity get went off? Like, you know, it's just about education and it's about empowerment. Um, yeah, and able to address that sort of equity issues as well. Mm. So the, the first year that this came about, what was the very first community that you provided these flu vaccinations to? I think, like, oh, I think like, you know, from memory, like it feels like that long ago, but it was mainly our Indian um, communities. And there were so many like wonderful sort of NGOs and community groups that are out there, which I didn't know at the time, but now like, you know, we've built up really strong, like sort of, um, um, relationships on various projects now but you know there were so many groups of um community like sort of um um out there like you know um that are looking after not just I guess elderly or senior citizens but I guess just you know um cultural groups or um religious group like you know and each groups like you know they have different identities like you know values and ethos to them but you know ultimately like you know I think our project was that um not really just for the flu because I like our vision was always about health um outcomes so um you know after having like you know done the flu vaccinations you know um very often like you know we we will engage like sort of later on in the year about like, it could be incontinence, um, um, it could be heart health or diabetes or nutritional or, um, yeah, there was so much going on, like, you know, that I found out in our community, like, you know, for people that need, um, you know, sort of that support. Mm. So it wasn't just, what I'm hearing is it wasn't just yeah. going out and pro providing the flu vaccinations mm. to, to those that weren't getting it. It was providing education and developing those relationships and going mm. back and providing more education um, yes. based on what these communities or portions of these communities yeah. might I think, like, used. you know, the whole, like, you know, like the goal of that pilot community flu fighter was really just to address flu vaccination because, you know, based on quite a relatively low flu vaccination rate, um, like, you know, the couple of years prior. But then I think, like, you know, when you start engage, engaging, like, you know, with um, all these community groups, you realise, okay, there, there's so much more that you can do um, from a pharmacy space. Like, you know, we would often talk about, um, you know, we sometimes, like, you know, put in, like, blood pressure check, um, prior to flu vaccinations and then you know like there were so many things so it sort of slowly and naturally sort of evolved into more of a health engagement project more like like um yeah and has this been well received it, it has been and and surprisingly because you know i think um a few years back then like you know people and the community wasn't really so aware of pharmacies and pharmacists were being able to provide vaccinations so you know when you first turn up to the first group they were like mm, who's this like random um like girl that um put on her white coat and come out like they they didn't really quite understand I guess like maybe perhaps from um you know um not being really exposed to the existing health system as well like you know I think back then not a lot of people realized uh pharmacists could actually provide vaccinations right so you know so I, it took um time to build on that trust as well but I think it really helped because we've got those community leaders that were there to lead and um you know connect us with these members and so you know we build up trust and you know it was always about a long-term relationship we didn't want to go in there and just be doing that one once a year, like flu vaccination. The vision was always to build on a relationship that we will come back years and years and, 
you know, and, 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 and we have seen it like, you know, last year with COVID vaccination, we have um, really facilitated a lot of clinics and outreach just because we had those existing relationships that we built a few years ago. Mm. And, and you mentioned that your, your, your first clinic uh, was with the Indian community, mm. wider Indian community, mm. Uh, mm. but you also mentioned that you've provided this, this initiative or this project to other communities as well. So can mm. you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so we obviously with my um, Asian background, so it was Chinese community, like, you know, with different religious groups, the Sikh, um, um, our Egyptian community as well, because um, um, we had a great relationship uh, because we used to have an Egyptian um, clinical pharmacist that worked with us. And, you know, and and I think there is always that common factor that um, help us engage. It's always, there's always that need um for better health outcomes. So, you know, our Egyptian communities have been really um, supportive of our work as well. Um, our Muslim communities, like, you know, our, our um, pharmacy is situated um, on a street, which, which we have a, a mosque on the left-hand side and a church on the right-hand side. So, you know, we engage with our um, closest neighbors and from one mosque, like, you know, we were serving to um, another mosque and um, with what from one church, like we were connecting to um, other churches as well. Um, but also like, you know, we have, um, you know, our Samoan communities, like, you know, in the South um, sort of um, Auckland area as well. So, you know, it wasn't just limited to uh, what I could speak. Um, I think the common language obviously is literally that language, but I think, you know, I think a common language is we all want to be healthy you know, um, and we all want a better outcome for yourself and, you know, our families. And that's where we set out to do. And, um, and it's just gradually expand to this massive network that we have been serving. And it's just quite interesting. And um, our Koreans um, communities, they have been really supportive as well. Um, and it helps when you have an amazing team that speaks all these languages, but sort of share the same values and ethos that um, what this is about. Um, and I think it's interesting because, you know, a lot of the time when we run a clinic, it's not always about the Korean language, like, you know, and sometimes we, it's about, oh, the Korean communities, like, you know, actually have built up a trust with one of our particular um vaccinating pharmacists and they always want to see Chris because you know we can communicate simple messages through um the way we speak our body language but the support so they trust us you know so it is it is a really beautiful thing because you know um that relationship like you know has built up over the last four or five years and they still come um years and after years coming back for the flu and now we recognize them for you know obviously the flu vaccinations COVID vaccinations but other sort of health needs as well so it has been a wonderful journey. Wow very inspiring and hopefully a, a model that is um, is going to be taking off in, in other regions if it hasn't already. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the things we we talked about recently was how when you were first approached about this idea of this community flu fighters initiative or project that there wasn't any funding mm. <laughs> tell me a little bit about your journey from the conversations of no funding to then then mm. providing this first trial mm. clinic it's um Obviously, I think like, you know, this lack of funding or um, will resonate with a lot um, with our colleagues, like, you know, um, um, because funding is always tight. Um, and, you know, I, I guess sometimes like, you know, there's only so much um, that comes out from that same pool. Um, so, you know, when counties, um, Medi-Cal, like, you know, um, particularly like, you know, from our Asian health like departments, like, you know, we have Kitty Co here, like, you know, um, she's one of the main advocates for Asian health gang like come approach us and said like you know um just based on the findings um and um and the low flu vaccination rate do we want to do something like you know i'm always like you know into something new and wanting to try out new ideas you know you got to try out like things um in a sort of health setting you know in order to um make changes but um preferably with funding but 
Um, so we talk about all these ideas. Yes, like we want to do outreach. We want to um, um, set up a proper like cold chain. But also like, you know, you have to consider like, you know, when you go out to do this outreach, someone else has to do your um, sort of um, basic dispensary work. So, you know, it is about like, you know, having and setting up a whole different team to be able to um, to go out to do this work. And it's not um, always just, you know, a one hour, two hours sort of work. Like, you know, when you also have to put in a presentation, a seminar and, you know, Q&A sessions and that. So, you know, you have to quantify all those things. So, but there wasn't any funding available. So, you know, I think, you know, the passion was there, the idea was there. Everyone wants to make it happen, but there's no money involved. So, you know, so we put it off for about a year. Like, you know, we said, okay, well, if there's no funding, you know, we'll just look at, well, we'll just have a look and, you know, sit on it, you know. The next year, you know, of course, like, you know, we initiate that talk again and, you know, with still no funding. I was like, I, I don't want a lot, you know. I just want a fair, like, funding to set us up with a proper, like, sort of, outreach coaching gear um i'm happy to fund my staff like you know and and um still no funding but we thought okay well we have already done so much research and evidence for a migrant community and ethnic community let's try something okay and we're just gonna trial it and um see how it goes no promise like you know i may not be able to do all these 30 or 40 groups of people you know it's quite a significant sort of financial outtake mm. Um, especially when we are talking about um, for a lot of these outreach, you don't have a guaranteed number sometimes, you know, um, you may turn up like, you know, as much as we want to register, like, you know, um, at least 20 sort of members, sometimes it doesn't happen, you know. Um, so we thought, okay, well, it's just, you know, trial it anyway. And, and surprisingly, like, you know, we, we um, received such amazing sort of, um, sort of response that, you know, it, it really surprises me. Like, you know, when when we turn up to one Sikh temple that first year, we took with us like, you know, I think 90 vaccine. I And I thought to myself, surely I'll be happy if we do like 20. Um, given that like it is the first year, people don't usually engage that way. And um, who knows how, how it's going to happen, you know. And that particular clinic I really remember so vividly like you know it was I think 99 vaccines that we took um, with us to that um, temple we completely like you know um, vaccinated all of our vaccines in two hours because you know because I think it is the trust that they place in their community leaders that was promoting hey you know um, this is the first time the team has come out and this is what we're doing and the support that we got was tremendous and overwhelming and it was a surprise but um behind the project like you know I think like people need to understand like you know we were trying to address um I guess affordability but also to convince people that we're really helping to engage and um improve equity and so you know a lot of the time like we were providing and until up till now at this point we are pretty much providing like, you know, um, the vaccinations for those who are not eligible for a free one at just almost an at cost price. So it was purely not really a profit making ex exercise for us. It was almost a bit of a social experiment for us. Um, and um, so it was still very interesting, like, you know, and, and for those who didn't quite get our concept and, um, didn't really understand how, you know, how this pilot works. It all started like that. And and we're still committed to that model because we want to continue and sustain that long-term relationship. Hmm. Now that's, it's really interesting to hear the story and hmm. the journey that you've gone through over the last few years. Hmm. Now, some people that are listening to this episode might question the yes. idea of providing services without any funding and mm. looking at the cost to your business and mm. doing mm. so. Mm. So what was your decision-making process after a year or two years of having these conversations mm. and mm. finally deciding, you know what, let's just give it a go anyway? 
Uh, a lot of people just call me crazy. Like even now, this <laughs> my team like does things I'm a little bit crazy, and you know, um, like you know, still have the drive and passion. But I think you know, once you're in the field, like you know, when you see the inequity and like you know the barriers and um and and, and the improvement or changes that we as pharmacists were able to make like it was really humbling and and I think like you know I I got so much more out from just maybe okay um you know the first year like I think we did around like maybe three to four hundred like you know flu vaccinations in that outreach model which is totally new mm. and um unheard of because I mean like there, there was always that workplace model out there but you know it was a new concept and then like you know there were other DHV that wants to look into a similar model because you know I mean it is not something that's hard to do and I really don't like feel at the time it was something that other people cannot um sort of duplicate and be able to provide um at other regions because you know there will be groups and so many communities out there that will benefit from something like that and you know so I think like you know that first year was totally experimental and then you know once you have engaged more you feel like you know you can actually yeah I I mean like you know I, I guess being a co-owner it give me more flexibility um in terms of making these decisions um and a lot of the time I have to sacrifice, obviously, the weekends because that's where, um, you know, um, churches um, gather or, um, you know, um, when people go for um, um, their prayers or um, do the um, meetings. So there was a lot of, of um, normal business hour work or um, there were a lot of um, weekends. So basically, you know, I block out all my winter weekends anyway, like, you know, for, you know, mid March to um, end of May, mid-June, like, you know, so those were not easy decisions sometimes. Um, And, you know, for the first couple of years, I think, you know, there was a lot of out of comfort sort of some decisions that you'd have to make, but, you know, and I'm very lucky, like, you know, I have amazing team. So I involve everybody, like, you know, and everyone takes turns too, like, you know, um, we'll take turns to go to different clinics and experience, and, you know, and and it, it is a humbling experience, like, you know, for my team. So, you know, it wasn't just pharmacists being involved. We have our interns. Um, we have our pharmacy technicians. And sometimes I take on my um, sort of um, retail team, like, you know, that have, a specific language skills or religious sort of background so we that we can cater um, for a particularly um, need for a group but financially like you know it's wasn't always um, you know a balanced decisions for the first couple of years but I guess I don't know like I, I felt I want to give um, and sometimes I you know, they give back to me in many different ways, um, you know, in terms of what the patients give back to me. And, you know, and, you know, sometimes I still go to different areas of Auckland and, you know, people will come up to me and say, hey, do you remember me? You came to um, Bhatia Samaj, a particular like groups. And because I, I would go there years after years or, mm. you know, seasons after seasons. So, you know, and I think, you know, sometimes you can't always quantify it in a financial way. Mm. Um, and you know, with come COVID time, I think it has given us more than what we thought we have given, like, you know, in a surprising way. So, um, yeah, so I felt like, you know, we have, our team has really contributed it in a way that was, um, that have helped, like, you know, cement what pharmacists and pharmacies can do. Definitely sounds that like the contribution of you and your team has had some real, real impact, like practical, you know, impact. Mm. You've been able to build relationships. You, you've probably mm. been able to, um, to learn more about mm. different cultures and peoples and and ethnicities and and the any particular issues or conditions that, mm. um, that they might be faced with that mm. you may not have known before. Mm. 
And it's quite interesting. It has been tricky because, like, you know, um, in 2020, when we first had the COVID um, real lockdown, you know, there was a lot of um, barriers um, of um, in, in getting flu vaccinations because of the lockdown. So, you know, we had to really improvise a lot. And, you know, when you think about um, each locality or um, organizations that have their own um, sort of venue and um, sort of um, point of meeting, like, you know, it's almost like running 50 different clinic with 50 different settings or needs. So you really have to think outside the square so much because of the social distancing. You know, back then, like everyone was really paranoid with um, um, obviously the social distancing and the protocol and of the whole COVID um, sort of um, guideline. So, you know, I think 2020 like really put us into that. Okay, how do we solve every single clinic setting sort of set up or how do we make it safe um, and how can we make it actually doable so that year I think like you know um, was particularly challenging um, for that flu vaccination um, project and we have to change it from time to time uh, there were so many barriers basically like but you know it, it really makes you grow because you know because there was that many challenges, you know, on top of what we have to manage on site already. Mm. Mm. Indeed. One of the other things that you you mentioned when we've spoken before is that you're also helping migrants, people that may not have NHIs. Mm. Uh, you mentioned earlier people that have language and literacy barriers. Mm. Um, and you also mentioned some that don't engage with the wider community. Mm. Uh, how how do you think you've provided um, for these people? What what have you been doing to help these migrant communities? Um, and and again, like you know, I'm I'm sure that like, you know a lot of our colleagues have been doing the same. Like you know, since the COVID rollout, like you know, especially for those who have been involved in um, COVID vaccination clinic, that you know, people turn out without NHI because. Um, they hold a work visas or, um, you know, we, you know, sometimes like, you know, going to some outreach clinics, like, you know, there will be overstayers, you know, and so they feel quite intimidated, like, you know, having to come forth to engage and get COVID vaccination, right? So, you know, I'm sure like, you know, a, a lot of other pharmacies colleagues will have done the same. Um, but we set out sort of a mission, like, you know, when we first provided that, you know, we're not going to turn people away just because we have a long queue waiting. But, you know, we want to communicate in a meaningful way that, like, you know, that we will ensure that, you know, despite, you know, the workload that we will, um, you know, help them set up and, um, you know, apply for an NHI. And from there, um, explain the whole process but you know and remember you know the root problem is not just uh, not having an NHI and not being able to get um, COVID vaccinations but you know most of them don't even know how to do the scanning when you know we have um, to have um, the health app um, or um, they have never enrolled with a GP because they think they're not, not never gonna be sick you know it's those health concepts, right? So, you know, um, so our team had sort of set out this mission that, you know, we're going to show everybody who doesn't know how to um, engage and encourage them, like, you know, where to go to, to enroll, you know, um, um, pointing them out where to go. So, you know, in preparation for, I guess, in COVID some way that, you know, um, you know, just because you have never been sick before, like, you know, maybe you should still enroll with the GP. You know, because, you know, especially with, you know, a lot of enrollment and full capacity, you know, we don't want them to have to deal with these things last minute. So, um, and, you know, with overstayers as well, you know, they feel really intimidated, like no fear for them to come forward to have these health service. So how do we sort of be able to provide sort of service in a trusted 
settings. And I think, you know, at the, at that, that really sort of, um, make it, um, more important that we, we do this outreach work because, you know, because they go to the temples, they feel safe there because, you know, they, they have a leader that they can maybe, um, go to and, um, be able to have those sort of private and confidential sort of um, conversations and then we help facilitate some of these services but you know I think it's not just you know religious group or migrants but you know we we've done a lot of work with um, gangs as well you know in terms of COVID vaccination so I think you know the common theme there is you know how can we do our work in for these people in a trusted but um, I guess in a safe way, an environment that they feel they feel comfortable, that they feel trusted, and they feel not judged. You know, because mm. often you don't want to ask too much because you don't know, or um, um, or okay, just get the vaccines. You know, um, and but what about all this misinformation? You know, um, or um. They're not given a vaccinations card, so they don't even know they need to come back um, for the second one at what time, you know? You know, I, I don't want to be there, just be vaccinating and not addressing all these things because it's not just one person I'm seeing that's experiencing these barriers. But I just felt that, you know, it's, it's not an isolated case, but there are so many of them out there. Mm. So it's it sort of become... Yeah, sort of like a mission for the team to sort of try to um, facilitate as many as possible, but try to like use a very limited time. Like, you know, I have to say like, you know, we did, you know, we were so swarmed with work. We, we can't spend 10 minutes with everyone, but, you know, in whatever sort of time and space that we have, we put as much out as possible. Mm. So am I... Am I right in, in hearing that you, you, you don't go out for the purpose of just providing a vaccination mm. because a vaccination is, mm. is considered good for, for you know, in, in this instance, maybe, you know, people mm. over 65 who might have a low vaccination mm. rate. Um, but what you're doing is trying to address the wider needs of that population mm. as well. So, mm. yes, they might be coming in for this vaccination and you can mm. educate them around that. Mm but you are addressing any wider health needs or, as you say, misinformation mm. and educating. Um, so mm. it's a more comprehensive, holistic approach. Oh, for sure. And, like, you know, and a lot of this engagement, like, really highlight what I think pharmacists can do in general because, you know, we are in that sort of middle ground, like, which we we are the perfect sort of access point for patients. But then we um, also, like, you know, communicate and have that sort of potential to collaborate so much with other health professions that we I, I really felt like you know we are in that positions that we can potentially do a lot for our patients and that's why you know I really want to invite you know all our pharmacist colleagues everyone that's in this sort of pharmacy space to think more you know when you engage with your patient. And I'm sure, like, you know, I think most of our wonderful pharmacists do, like, you know, we're just sort of, you know, limited with time and resource mm. sometimes, but, you know, we're possible, like, you know, and I think like, you know, it's it's a more comprehensive things that we can 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 do and provide for sure. Indeed, mm. indeed. Hey, um, Vicky, you mentioned being involved in gang outreach a few minutes mm. ago as well. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how that came about? Mm. I mean, it first um, started like sort of mid-August last year when um, we had a great collaboration like with um, Dr. Jensen from um, National National um, Coalition Force. Like, you know, um, he's, he's such a highly regarded um doctor in um, the Maori world like so you know it was such um, a privilege to be able to work with um, Wawiri like you know to be 
I'm able to be involved in um, sort of a Maori um, MRI setting clinic. So we were so thrilled when we were asked, like, you know, do you have time and can we work together? And so, you know, it's all sort of evolved from that when we organized um, some Maori sort of um, COVID vaccination um, clinic. But, you know, it, it was very um, Kaupapa led, like, you know, it was obviously like, um, um, you know, um, very, Maori sort of um, centered approach, which has really um, um, was a really eye-opening um, sort of experience for our team as well, which um, because we never had a lot of those opportunities. So it was a great opportunity for us to really um, learn and um, in that space. And from there, like um, we continue to work on a lot of projects. Um, and eventually we thought like, you know, and we teamed up with um, um, Mount Wellington um, Outreach Vaccination Team. We thought, oh, you know, while people are waiting um, for um, the 15 minutes of, of post, like, you know, COVID vaccination time, how can we use those time better? And that's, we thought, oh, why don't we bring, because at that time we were really engaging with um, a lot of our South Auckland sort of um, communities on the streets and things like that. So we thought, oh, why can't we try um, doing Hep C and um, test and screening, you know, for those to, you know, find a more meaningful way to that 15 minutes. So um, from there, it evolved into like, you know, some um, gang sort of um, settings, um, COVID clinic, which we obviously bring COVID vaccinations um, to the Ganfar now, um, um, as well as the Hep C screening and testing as well. And yeah, and then so, you know, it all started from there. Um, and just before Christmas, you know, we had a Kaitaia sort of um, convoy that we headed up to Kaitaia, like, you know, for a long weekend. Um, and um, we did um, over like, you know, 200 um, COVID vaccinations and over like, you know, just under about a hundred, like, you know, he hepatitis C screening for our um, gang, gang communities um, up at um, Kataya, um, which we identify a couple of hep C positives as well, which, yeah, so, you know, different needs, obviously, and a very different um, sort of approach to our more far North community where um, sometimes, access and equity again is a bit of an issue mm. Mm. so yeah so like you know that 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 was our um sort of gang experience um i have to say it was very interesting you know um um you you sort of have to set aside some of your personal bias um when you are providing health um and um holding conversations in a very different way that um will reach those um, community and families as well. Um, so it's been a steep learning curve for our team. Um, very interesting learning, yeah. Fantastic. And another wonderful initiative too. Yeah, and and it really sort of um, proved that again, like, you know, outreach, um, the model itself, which, you know, from outcome, like, you know, really, four or five years ago when outreach was not a thing to now, you know, um, that mobile model and the mobile clinic, you know, I, I can only see, you know, this mobile health sort of initiative be expanding more to other health services and screening um, mm. and testing or point of care eventually mm. as well. Mm. Indeed. Now, Vicky, you have done a lot in the past few years when it comes to these outreach clinics. And just for the record, I know we talked about how there was no funding initially. Have you been funded in recent years? Still, like, you know, a, a lot of these, obviously, like, we um, have great clinical contract now in place, like, you know, for our COVID vaccinations, which have been great and so wonderful to see that you know pharmacies and pharmacists are utilized like you know I just wish that you know some of these services were funded earlier so come COVID time we were more prepared and we were um, more set up um, but nonetheless I think like you know we have um, 
evolved and been given that opportunity to show that we can as mm. pharmacies and pharmacists. Um, I wish that, you know, some of these clinical services are more um, given more sort of widened access so everyone can be more involved um, and um, it can be more um, accessible for all pharmacies um, and not having to jump through as many sort of hoops or, um, you know, application processes and things like that. Um, our community flu fighter um, projects are still not um, funded, although, like, you know, um, counties um, have acknowledged sort of our efforts and the outcomes, um, you know, um, ongoing. And, you know, I and I'm very proud of um, a project like that and the support of um, the community you know, groups that, you know, have, um, have have given us, like, you know, um, throughout the years. But I guess it speaks itself that, like, you know, with our COVID vaccinations work, I guess, you know, in, in some way have paid for what we haven't been paid. Um, um, and, yeah, but I just wish, you know, um, DHBs and, you know, ministry would look deeper into what great pharmacies work have been done um, and addressing um, contracting and commissioning, like, you know, more meaningful contracts mm -hmm. um, of pharmacies that are set out to provide clinical services. You know, and in, in, in my bio, like, you know, I think, um, thank you for introducing me as being passionate about clinical services because I really felt that we are, uh, in this space that we 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 have to evolve um, as pharmacists and pharmacies um, that we should be providing more clinical services um, and you know we have that you know obviously ability to do so proven um, with you know all these different initiatives like you know you look at um, INR, CPAM, you know um, clozapine um, you know, red tests, you know, all sort of vaccinations, you know. Mm. Why are we still not um, having, you know, funded whooping cough vaccinations in pharmacy space when you see um, pregnant lady finding it very um, hard to access GPs, mm. you know, during this COVID time? You know, it, we, we should really look at... Um, all these needs and address it like you know quickly hmm. you know how many more years do we need to um wait you know for these fundings to come through so i think it's just um a no-brainer thing that you know pharmacies just should be all given like you know more um resource you know we're hmm. all burned out right you know with their changes every week you know, mm -hmm. how can we keep up? But we, we, uh, we, you know, if we're given resources and funding, we can do more and we can do more better. Mm. And ultimately, ultimately, I think like, you know, it's all about equity and um, accessibility and health outcomes. And, you know, I think we're really in, in this perfect place now because we are all so equipped and and we, we're improvised we're all great problem solvers you know who better to do it than pharmacists indeed we're out in the community already right yeah mm -hmm. yeah that's that's exactly right uh, just based on what you have been saying where do you want to see pharmacy in 10 years you know when you look at like the past 10 years who knew that like you know from that reclassification of um you know flu vaccines would lead to all these vaccinations like you know come 10 years later um so and you know who knew that we could be prescribing and you know and um doing you know a lot of the utis prescribing and you know having pharmacist prescriber you know for me it's i think like you know my vision would be for pharmacists to have a more collaborative like an integrative like sort of approach in the health system you know um the sitting and pho and and gp practices um 
or even like, you know, from a community pharmacy setting, how can we work better and integrate with GPs, nurse prescriber? You know, I think, you know, you can see, um, you know, the contribution of nurse prescriber and pharmacist prescriber in PHO, but how can we utilize, you know, um, maybe our skill sets a little bit better in community pharmacies as well. So I think, you know, in the next five to 10 years, it will be having more maybe point of care screening and testing um, in community pharmacies, definitely clinical roles, um, um, you know, in the community settings and, you know, and just working with PHO and other um, sort of um, sort of primary health colleagues as well, because you can only see like the pressure that's being put um, on primary health care are getting bigger and bigger, you know, our GPs um, sort of numbers will be declining, you know, with retirements and, you know, resources as well. Um, you know, our health system needs pharmacists and I can only see us playing an even greater role, you know, in the next few years. Wonderful. Thank you very much, <laughs> Vicky. So, you, you, I mean, you, you've touched on a lot of points here. Your one is the immense pressure that's in, in in primary health care right now across the board mm. um, the reducing number of uh, GPs or, or the increasing number that will be retiring in the coming years and and we know that, mm. that they are struggling as well mm. um, and it's really interesting how you were looking back the last 10 years and and you're right you know that we mm. we are doing more clinical roles we are doing point of care we are prescribing mm. um, you know oral contraceptives and and you know UTI treatment um, mm. yeah there, there's there's a lot that's happening in the space we are we are vaccinating and it's not mm. just flu vaccines now that that is being widened um, you know doing rats tests etc now mm. yeah, yourself and I'm sure there'll be other pharmacies around the country as well that are going mm. out into the communities and providing different types of outreach mm. clinics whatever mm. that may look like so you know so things are certainly changing within pharmacy, and uh, from what you're saying is to just carry that on and and ensure that we can integrate better into the, mm. the primary health setting. Mm. Um, so thank you very much for that that insight and your your point of view on that as well. Um, thank you for speaking to me about the different outreach clinics that you've been involved in. I think that's it's fascinating. And the fact that it's just growing and growing and growing. I mean, it's probably mm. going to get to the point where you're not going to be in your pharmacy very much because it's just, <laughs> it's just going to be. <laughs> I know it almost felt like that for the last 18 months. Like, you know, when when, when are we stopping outreach clinics? And, you know, <laughs> so um, it, it will be interesting come maybe potentially, you know, the second booster as well. So, but mm. thank you so much, Serena, like, you know, for letting me share my um experience and my team's experiences like with everybody um and um hopefully like you know um people that are listening will um can resonate um and maybe take the same approach to your own practice as well because i think everyone can do it indeed thank you very much vicky um, enjoy the rest of your day thanks for speaking to me and we'll see you soon thank you